Bring it in and welcome back to the Read Option Podcast. Jeff and Scotty here. Vito out in Vegas. Getting ready to watch the the Sweet 16 out in Vegas. Yeah, he's got Gonzaga, UCLA tonight, and uh, and Arkansas. And uh, uh, who's Arkansas playing? Uh, uh, UConn, right? Let's just do a blank. Yeah, UConn. So two great games he's going to get to watch tonight. Yeah, I mean, what a life this motherfucker lives. He's in Florida playing golf on Monday, and by Thursday he's in Vegas getting ready to watch the Sweet 16. I just, honestly, like, it probably sounds like it's a bit that we do, that we're like, oh, where's Vito this week? Like, no, we literally don't know. Like, when Vito just doesn't show up. Oh, he's in Vegas, Jeff. That's... I mean, like, before we ask him, like, I'll text you guys and be like, hey, what time can we record today? And you'll be like, oh, I'm good whenever, and Vito's like, Sorry, I'm in Vegas right now. Sorry, I'm in Istanbul uh, tracking down wild, you know, rare buffalo. Uh, sorry, I'm not going to be around, mm. but uh, have a good show, guys. And then you're just like, "How? what is this guy doing? Like, it's he's just always on the move, which, hey, good for him. More power to him. That's why we love Vito. It's why he's the uh, he's the Charlie Day. Oh, wow. A, a pod, a pod yawn. Don't get a lot of those. Uh, but that's I mean, a that's pond. what he does. A pawn. There we go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Vito, that's why we love him. He's the wild card. He's the, he's the Charlie day in, uh, always sunny, right? You know, wild card bitches. I mean, that's Vito. That's what we get for him. Um, today's pod is honestly, it's sports gumbo ish, but to be honest, like we were talking, like we're kind of in, we're starting to get those first little days. Like, obviously there's a bunch of sports going on. We had the tournament last week. Uh, we're recording about 3.30 Eastern time, so we're, this will be out right before the games tee, uh, tip off tonight for the Sweet 16. So we'll go over a little bit over the Sweet Sweet 16. We'll make our predictions for the games uh, you know, this weekend. But honestly, like we're kind of hitting this zone of like there's nothing huge going on. NFL free agency, obviously we talked a lot about that last week, but kind of tailed off today. There's just – there's a bunch of little things, right? The NBA is starting to kind of heat up. Uh, we're going to get into the MVP conversation because if you have a sports podcast, you're legally required to have uh, a conversation about the MV- MVP and the NBA. Uh, yeah, otherwise, but, you're a joke. Or yeah, uh, mm, nice, nice. Uh, but yeah, so there's just it's just kind of that weird time, man. Like especially for us, like we're so used to doing it. So this is kind of like a producing on the fly thing. Like I know we're, we're going to talk a little world baseball classic. We're going to talk a little NBA. We're going to talk about uh, some NFL stuff with Rogers and uh, the MVP, but this is kind of a weird episode only because like we've done almost 200 of these. And this is, I can honestly say probably the first one that I started recording kind of being like, yeah, I don't really know where this is going to go. So I, the excitement of that is at least a little bit fun. It kind of feels like doing a radio show. Uh, yeah, you know, it's not uh, the finished product of gumbo. We're you're gonna be making it with us, folks. Uh, yeah, it's it's still on the stove simmering. Yeah. so that's, that's get amongst exactly it. it. Yeah, we're we're <laughs> we're we're gonna try our best to try to get through uh, the next hour or so. And, How about a little I mean, golf what, too, a little Dell match play. What do you well, think? Well, so that's the thing. It's like I love the match play, but let's be honest. Ninety nine percent of the people who listen to this pod don't give a shit about the Dell match play. I love it. It's the only tournament we have all year that starts on a Wednesday because they have to to get all the rounds in. I also love that they time it to be out 
the the this this week in particular after the tournament because they're like, hey, you know, we we're so used to seeing a field of sixty four right from the tournament. Everyone's focusing on their bracket. The next week, you're like, man, what am I gonna do without another bracket? Boom, here's golf with for you with a great bracket. Uh, and uh, and that's all going on right now as we speak. But uh, let's start, though, with the World Baseball Classic because uh, there has been a lot of discussion about it. I, I got to tune into the championship game. I watched some of the, uh, the, the semifinals on Monday night. It was really, really fun to watch. I think it was cool that the U.S. got all the way to the finals. Um, you know, the, it was crazy. It's like if, if the U.S. had their top arms, too, like if you put Scherzer and Verlander and DeGrom and, like, all of those guys in it, um, Even if you had Stroman on that team, I, yeah. I think they. Right. I mean, yeah. it, there's, there's a, there's a bunch of guys you could add and then it makes you feel, you know, no Garrett Cole. Um, or did he pitch for Canada? Did Garrett Cole, I think Garrett, Who? Garrett Cole. Is, didn't he, didn't he pitch for Canada? No. Or am I making I that up? So. There was think... somebody who, uh, Freddie Freeman's who I'm thinking of, which is not even a pitcher, but um, I thought it was just, I thought overall it was a really cool event. I thought the way the like, the perfect Hollywood ending where you had Otani yeah, well, yeah. going up against Mike Trout in the Can you final. Imagine in the if final they were on the same team, bat. Yeah, how right? good that team would be. <laughs> yeah, tons, tons. Uh, I did see one of my least favorite people in all of sports media, Elliot Shores Park, who's a Philly-based guy who is just – he is he is like a new – like he's wannabe Skip Bayless. Like no one likes Skip Bayless to begin with. No one wants to be Skip Bayless unless you're just talking about his paycheck. Um, and then it's even worse to be like, you're like the Kmart brand version of Skip Bayless. Like, Hey, mm. you're not relevant enough that anyone actually gives a shit about what you have to say, but you say things that are so fucking stupid that you just piss everyone off. And you think that that equals getting clout and getting clicks. He had a take today that said, are there any other athletes more overrated than Mike Trout? I'll get out of here. I, right. Like, How could I, you even say that? if anything, it's under because nobody watches him because he never makes the postseason because his team is terrible. Not yeah, not to mention like baseball's the one of the is probably of all the sports, like we talk about it in basketball. Like if you have LeBron James and he's playing 82 games, you're gonna make the postseason, right? If you have Tom Brady and you're playing 16 games and he's healthy for 16 games, you're making the postseason, right? Like that's just what it like those elite of the elite players have. Baseball's one of the sports. Like even even a team like again hockey like Connor McDavid's on the like Edmonton Edmonton was really bad for his first couple of years but they still got to the postseason almost every year because Connor McDavid's that good and playing twenty five minutes of Connor McDavid's enough to likely get you at least to the postseason. Baseball doesn't work that way. Your best player, who could be the greatest player of all time, and and will go down as a top five player statistically of all time, at most he's going to get four at bats, right? So you're talking about if there's on average somewhere between 30 to 40 at bats a game, he's going to get maybe 10% of the effect on offense. And then in the field, he's playing center field. He might out of the 27 outs that you need to get, he might end up getting three. So one ninth of the total defensive help. Like it's insane. That how, the- I mean, how good you can be as a baseball player and also not affect winning. Yeah. When the rest of your I, team is as bad as that. Like, it's just. It's, it's crazy, too, that, like, every time somebody brings up uh, war to me, wins above replacement as a, as a meaningful statistic in baseball, I'm like, Otani and Trout have, like, a 19 war, which is super high. And 
they're yeah, still oh, it's, 19 games under 500. So you yeah. tell me like what the problem is. Yeah. Take Mike Trout <laughs> off of those teams and how yeah. look at look at how those Angels teams have performed over the years. I sent you and Vito a tweet. Um, it was this morning, but it was based off of Mike Trout. And it was like, if you aren't in, if you aren't impressed, you should be. Mike Trout has had three swinging strikes in only 24 of his 6,174 career plate appearances in the MLB. That's it means he's only struck out swinging with three swings. Like he only misses three pitches going against MLB pitching 24 times in 6,174 at-bats. Like quick math here, 6,174, that is 0.003% of his total at-bats go down swinging on three straight strikes. Or not three straight strikes, but just three, like a strikeout with three strikes. That is so batshit insane otani's good man and that's again that's how good otani is but that's that is a it's perfect because it's like yeah he was going up against otani who's that fucking ridiculous but also how obscenely good mike trout is and has been his entire career right like how someone can be so fucking stupid and ignorant and the thing is too it's he's not stupid or he does it on purpose for people to click on a shit and to comment and say he's an asshole and he can talk about all this engagement and how many people saw his tweets and all that stupid bullshit, which just talks about how small of a dick this motherfucker has. Like, I hate this dude in sports media so much because it's like, yeah, dude, like you are literally, you're literally Kmart brand, Skip Bayless, but what, but like even worse than that, because literally nobody cares. You're Goodwill, Skip Bayless. Like you, you get sold for a dollar. Compared to Skip Bayless is like $35. Sorry, Elliot Shores Park. I fucking hate you. And I don't say that about a lot of people. But no, that dude, fuck him. Um, anywho, going back to the World Baseball Class. Super fun. <laughs> super, super fun. Um, I just, there was a lot of discourse going on about the World Baseball Classic and a lot of this whole like, is it worth it? You know, we saw the Edwin Diaz injury, which was yeah. really unfortunate. Um, uh, 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 Altuve, right? He's also going to be out for a while. Um, my th- my thing with that is, you know, first of all, these injuries can happen at any time. Yeah. And the only people that are complaining loud enough are, are A, the people that are fans of those franchises or involved in them, like Stevie Cohen. What uh, He came out and said something about Edwin Diaz and how upset he was that he got injured. Uh, but you are saying that with the benefit of hindsight. Like if he had gotten injured in July, would you be saying the same thing? You'd be like, oh no shit. Well, that was, you know, a, a, a game. You think those games are any more meaningful in, in, in July than they are in the, in the exhibition uh, in the world baseball classic. I don't think so. And especially not to those players, the way that the, they were talking throughout the tournament. I, I mean, there were how many, how many players who were involved? I, I could cite Randy Rosarena as one yeah. who was played in a world series and was like, this is, like the greatest, some of the greatest, most meaningful baseball I've ever played. I mean, the grand slam that Trey Turner hit, he said it was, yeah. he said it was the biggest yeah, moment of his career. He's won a world series. Right. He's, you know, and he's been on the biggest stage. Uh, and he said it was also the loudest uh, ba- baseball park he's ever been in. Yeah. Like that's, that's saying something. And so, yeah, I, I enough with too. this, this discourse about the, the injury <laughs> being, uh, it's unfortunate. I'll grant you that, but like, it's, it sucks, but like, the thing is, is that this isn't new. It's just because the World Baseball Classic isn't at the same level as the World Cup or the Olympics, it just doesn't like people feel like then it shouldn't matter as much. But like 
we've been lucky that we haven't seen the same thing happen at the Olympics as much, but I guarantee you there are injuries to, to soccer players during the world cup that affect their premier league season or their Bundesliga season or the La Liga season, right? Like it happens, but you get an opportunity to go play for your country. And also like, who cares? Like ultimately the, the person that like, yes, the fan base that loses a potential player, no question that sucks. But at the same time, like these guys, play the game because they love to play the game. If you're going to go play in this event, you're going because you love baseball or you, if you're going to go play in the world cup, you're like, I love soccer. I've made my life around soccer. And now here's an opportunity for me to represent my entire country. Like fuck what anybody else says, right? Like if that's what what you want to do, go and do it. Like I, it, it, does it suck for Mets fans? Does it suck for Astros fans? Like no question, not having Altuve not having Diaz. Right. But we, uh, an hour before we started recording here, Reese Hoskins, you know, has to get carted off the field from the Philly spring training because of a non-contract, non-contact knee injury. Right. And so most people are assuming it's an ACL tower, which is awful and sucks, but like we never complain about people playing in spring training. Right. We never complain about stars who are getting paid, you know, millions of dollars competing in spring training. Right. But for some reason now baseball, which is like one of the sports that has fluky injuries, but for the most part, like you're not getting like, it's not like football. We're getting like hamstring pulls. Like you get some of that stuff, but it's, it's different. Like we almost expect the same thing with golf. It's like, if a golfer has an injury, you're like, well, what's wrong? You're just playing golf. If a baseball player has an injury. It's like a baseball. It's like hardly even a sport. Like there are people who kind of think that way. So when someone does get hurt, it becomes a bigger deal. It's just the fact that this was on a stage the Mets are the Mets, and Edwin Diaz was obviously a huge part of that Mets team last year. The whole thing is just weird, it, yeah. and it's just like I don't, I don't get the overall outrage around it. And at the same time, like this is so much better for baseball, the World Baseball Classic being as exciting and and paid attention to than anything that happened in in the major league season, including the world series last year. It's, it's unbelievable. The, the, the amount of people around major league baseball who are showing some like disdain for First of all, major league baseball created it, but like all these baseball people are now like, well, this isn't what the game is about. And it's like, yeah, it is around the rest of the world. And here we are in the United States, our national pastime, just absolutely berating this series and repressing baseball. This is why baseball is no fun in, in the United States. Yeah. But when you go and travel around the world and go watch games in Korea or in Japan or anywhere in the Caribbean, for God's sake, it's it's one of the, the most fun things you'll ever be a part of. And we saw a lot of that in, in this World Baseball Classic. 100%. And it's like, I look, meanwhile, Major League Baseball is sitting as like what, like the fourth most watched sport in America after the NFL college football and yeah. the NBA, like people don't care about regular season baseball outside of their regional markets. That's like, no. that is just a fact on a national level. People don't care. But what this does do is it gives people an opportunity to go onto Twitter and hash out their bullshit takes. Right. And, and blame things and get outraged about something that they're not going to care about two weeks from now. As the, literally it's been two days since the world baseball classic ended. Nobody. I mean, it's not nobody, but, the majority of people who are baseball fans or sports fans have already moved on to the next thing. They're focused on the sweet 16 tonight and, and tomorrow they're focused on uh, the final four. They're focused on the masters. Like it was cool for a moment. 
And all these people had these insanely intense opinions that just frankly don't matter. It's like, look, if these guys want to go play, they know the risk that they're putting up there. They know that they might be sacrificing money. They know that likely they're going to end up getting partial of, of whatever year they're going to get there. But the same thing could happen in spring training, doing the respon- the quote unquote responsible thing like Reese Hoskins. And you're still going to miss the fucking season. Yeah. Like it doesn't change anything at all. It just it, it's it's more and more bullshit that people just like to go onto Twitter and complain about and find something to get angry about because they're too dissatisfied with their own fucking lives. Or it's like, dude, just be a, just be an adult. Just be an Enjoy adult. Something. <laughs> Enjoy Good something. Enjoy something. They're an adult. <laughs> they can make their decisions. Why the hell do you think that you can go on there and tell Edwin Diaz he can't go pitch for his country? Why do you, why do people have to go out there and, and make jokes at the expense of Mike Trout, who never gets to play in the postseason, not because he's underrated, but because the fucking Los Angeles Angels have sucked. And I still think it was a mistake for you know Mike Trout to 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 leave to not leave because that 450 or 500 million dollar contract that he had was the biggest in pro sports when he signed yeah. it. Like because because well, guess what Otani's gonna do if the situation stays the same. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> he would have gotten that contract from anybody, so yeah. Trout should have left. He should have, but he didn't. He had his life set up there. He wanted to stay with the Angels. He was committed to the organization, which, by the way, we criticize players when they leave to go pursue a championship somewhere else instead of staying with the team that rose you. Now it's like, oh, no, it's it's a double-ended sword. It's like no matter what you do, these guys can't win. We're going to find reasons to fucking poke at them. Here's an idea. Let them go fucking play baseball for their country, yep. right? Because the product was absolutely electric. Trey Turner hitting the grand slam in the eighth inning was on or was was fucking against unreal Venezuela against semis, Venezuela yeah. and then we came down to a final pitch of an at bat with the best player from the last 50 years of baseball going the two up, best players in the world I going argue. up against yeah I, I would absolutely say that going head to head two outs bottom of the ninth or top of the ninth whatever it was three two and a one two run game in the ninth one like, one swing think... one swing can can yeah. change it and I, boy did Crowd almost connect. I mean, yeah. those two fastballs right down the pipe. <laughs> and he still missed, right? Which yeah. goes to show how ridiculous Otani is. But also then we get to appreciate, you know, Trout in a, in a thing that fucking matters. The arg- the thing for me is like the, is the argument that people saying it doesn't matter. That's completely subjective. Yeah. It's oh, 100% yeah. subjective. You know what doesn't matter to me? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift doesn't fucking matter to me. You know what I recognize? I millions, millions of millions of people love Taylor Swift. They do. Millions of people love Taylor Swift and listen to her all the time. Does that mean because it doesn't matter to me, I can go up there and say, well, Taylor Swift doesn't matter. Her music doesn't matter. No, I don't like her. I think she's annoying. I think she's full of shit a lot of the times. But you know what she has done? A lot of really good things for feminism, a lot of really good things that have empowered young women to go out there and follow their dreams and pursue stuff. And she's been an inspiration for people that fucking matters. I can separate my own opinions on it from what the actual truth and what the actual outcome is of the situation. And so I'm sitting here like, yeah, to me, is the World Baseball Classic the biggest sporting event of all time? No. But are there people out there who are diehard baseball fans who want to watch every single pitch and care about this thing? 100%. And I'm not going to sit there and shit on those people and be like, well, this thing that you care about actually doesn't matter and you shouldn't care about it. That's not your decision. You don't get to decide what people care about or don't care about. That's up to them. Right. And you can throw yeah. out that, well, who's paying them and you know what money are they getting? Who is What's your profession? 
These guys have a chance. Their teams, let them go play. That's on the owners. That's on the, the individual player for making that decision. They're the ones that have to now waste their entire season, go through rehab. You're just pissed because your closer is not going to be playing for the rest of the season. Or it could be that the same thing could have fucking happened to Edwin Diaz in spring training, right? I think right. what pissed people off more is the fact that it was happening as he was celebrating, which I get yeah. sucks. And we don't see it. You see those kinds of injuries happen every once in a while, but I don't know. I just, I just felt like the whole conversation around it was so fucking stupid because there's a million different sports out there. There's people who love cricket. There's people who love polo. There's people who watch, watch fucking darts and, and are obsessed with it. Let people like what they like. It's not your job to tell them what is important or what isn't important just because it's not important to you. Doesn't make you any more right because you don't like something or you right. think it's a mistake. Does it suck that your favorite team lost an important player? It sure does. That's a bummer. You know what sucks more? That dude is not going to be able to play for his team. He's going to have to rehab for the next six months while you sit on your couch drinking beer, stuffing your face with fucking fatty ass pizza and potato chips, doing fucking nothing and bitching about the fact that he played for his country, which is more than 99% of those people have ever accomplished or will ever accomplish in their life. 100%. And it's the same person who, you know, complains why baseball is, is no fun. Right. Yeah. It's the exact same person. Why, why is the, why is the game not growing? How come uh, nobody watches baseball anymore? How come it's the fourth popular, most popular sport in this country? That's why. I mean, look at it's between that. And then you look at the the product that's on the field in the world baseball classic. You had, I mean, Cuba had to throw out their minor leaguers, obviously, because they couldn't come to the United States and play uh, or, or use the guys who are in the major leagues anyway. Uh, And, but across the globe, this is great. It's no, it's no longer just the United States, Japan, uh, Korea. I'll throw in there, uh, and and some of the the other Latin countries anymore. It's everywhere. Italy was good. Italy damn near made it to the semifinals. And you can give the argument to me all day long uh, that I'm a homer with the Italian take, and that all of them were Italian Americans anyway. I mean, they were there. Like, like, who cares? You they were there. Defend, they yeah. played well. They yeah. were there. And they made it to the quarterfinals. Like, if you Britain, told me Germany, Italy- the yeah. The game is growing, man, at, at a rapid pace, and the talent is is there. And, and I, I don't want to hear these people complain about it because those are the same I mean, people that are like, "Why is look baseball not popular?" And and look at look at the NBA, right? The NBA is a great example of this. You had the like the LeBron Wade the the 03 class that was really big with Carmelo and D Wade and LeBron, right? You had Chris Paul right after that. You had a bunch of people come out in that early to mid two thousands, and then. Look at the league now, right? At that during that time, how many truly elite international players were in the NBA? Like Dirk Nowitzki. I guess you'd have to say Steve yeah. Nash because he's from Canada, but that's still North American, Timmy right? Timmy Duncan, that's right? It. Yeah. But Kobe. like Tim, but Tim Duncan grew up in the U.S. He was just born in um, the, the oh, Virgin yeah. Islands, right? Right. So like in the international guys, you had Manu Ginobili, but he at the time he was still just like a six man and was really really good, but like wasn't truly truly elite. Look at the NBA right now. The top three favorites, and we're going to talk about it in a little bit for the MVP, were are Embiid, Jokic, and Giannis. All three of them came from across overseas, right? Cameroon in Africa, uh, Greece with Giannis, and then uh, Serbia with with Jokic, right? Like, and then look across how many brilliant, you know, uh, European and international players are in the NBA right now. Look at the guy who's going to be the number one overall pick in the draft this upcoming year, Victor Wembanyama. You know why that's important or to this conversation and why 
they got we got to this point with the NBA? It's because the NBA embraced international basketball, right? They set up camps, right? They they created programs to set up players uh, and, and kids across the world by giving them opportunities to learn the game of basketball, to play it, and to get really, really good at it. Baseball right now should be thrilled with the fact that Italy had a team that almost got to the semifinals, got to the quarterfinals, that we had a team from Great Britain, that we had the kid from uh, – who was the kid who struck out all the guys from um, – the, was it the Dominican Republic? There was the uh, kid – was it Nicaragua? Nicaragua, Nicaragua the, yeah, yeah. yeah. The kid he who, signed he, with he, Detroit. Yeah. yeah, and he struck out like Juan Soto – I forgot who the other two were, but like uh, Manny Machado I think it was one of them too. But struck out like three of the best players in Major League Baseball, right? And that's some fucking like – 20 year old kid who's just up there fucking shoving, right? Like we should be embracing that. If the whole goal of this is to help grow the game of baseball, which it absolutely has, like it's inarguable based off of the numbers, the social media impressions, how many people watch these games, like the championship game, they was predicted. I don't know if I I never saw the ratings, but it was assumed that that was going to be the most watched baseball game of all time. More than half the TVs in Japan were on for it. Yeah. The next, the next elite, baseball prospect is coming from Japan. The pitcher who threw like four perfect games last year and like mm-hmm. had like the perfect, perfect game, or whatever, where he threw to, it was like 27 outs, didn't throw a single ball or something like, like that. Like those kids are, those kids are coming from international waters. Embrace this shit. If you're going to say it doesn't matter because it's going to affect one season in the MLB that no one's going to be watching during the regular season nationally, you're only going to be paying attention to your team until you get to the postseason. And then, yeah, we're going to talk about it in the NL and ALCS. Like that's maybe that, <laughs> that is when baseball starts to matter to the national public is the NL and ALCS, even the NLDS, the wild card round. None of that stuff fucking matters to the casual sports fan anymore, because by that point you're dealing with football season and people would rather watch week six in the NFL than or preseason watch the, week two. <laughs> yeah. They'd rather do that than watch, you know, the NLDS. They just would. So here's an idea. If you have something that is drawing this many eyeballs to the game, think about how many kids around the world, even in the the country of Japan alone, watch somebody in this world baseball classic. That's going to inspire them to be great down the line. That's how you grow a game. It starts at the youth level and, and the NBA has been doing it for 20 years. And that's why we sit there and the three best players in the NBA right now are all international just how it is so yep. the 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 world baseball classic is dumb and doesn't mean anything crowd you're just butt hurt because your player got hurt if edwin diaz never gets hurt you know the kfc radio guys from barstool like they never even opened their mouth about this not for a second but it's just because his guy got hurt that's it and now mm-hmm. he's trying to down a hill because he's been in social media beat for the last few weeks it's it's bullshit it's a terrible take it's an absolutely terrible take because at the end of the day if an athlete wants to do that, when they want to go to the Olympics, we never, when Ovechkin wants to go play for Russia and, and, and for hockey in the Olympics, no one ever says, Oh, but you could get hurt. No one ever says that Hockey's a far yeah. more dangerous game than baseball is, but it's just because this year we happen to have a couple of injuries. And you know what, because of the people who were bitching about this, that brought in more people. There are more people on social media who were aware of this, making it matter more. Like, that's the thing. It's like they almost fucked up their own argument by people with big followings, bringing it to social media to complain about how stupid this is. You just brought more attention to it, making it matter more. You're making your point less and less valid by 
by bringing it up in the first place. If it doesn't matter, you would have never talked about it in the first place, That's but right. you did, but you did. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know any other thoughts. Cause I know we kind of went down the other side. I, I mean, I thought the whole thing was really fun. Ultimately it was, it was electric. Fun. Yeah. I, I mean, it was just so fun from the beginning to the end. Uh, teams you wouldn't expect to, to play well. That story, like from the, the kid from Nicaragua, like you said, who, struck out three major leaguers and then was immediately given an offer sheet by the Detroit Tigers. And he's not going back to Nicaragua. He went down to Florida for spring training. Uh, so, yeah. Tell, tell so that that's kid, cool. tell that kid that the world baseball classic doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so it's, it's stuff like that, but top to bottom, it was absolutely electric. Um, the talent that's out there, the, 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 the way that the game has grown globally, um, and continues to grow. And, and I just think it was so much, so much fun. Um, so much fun to watch baseball be fun again. Cause it seemed like it was in its purest form uh, with that's with exactly that playing in it. Yeah, it does. It, it feels exactly like that. It feels yeah. it, it's like the sandlot, but grown up, you know, yep. it has that same energy. Uh, and we'll move on. I just want to add this last thing. Mike Trout tweeted out this. Um, so I'm sure he put on his Instagram too, but he said, uh, it's hard to sum up into words what these last couple weeks have meant to me. I had the time of my life representing that USA on my chest. The energy was electric and made the World Baseball Classic a moment I'll always cherish. Thank you all so much. It was an honor to be your captain. It fucking matters, dude. Like, I don't yeah. care. Say whatever you want. Bitch about but, whatever you want. But, like, it matters exactly. to them. And ultimately, for these guys making the decision to, to leave spring training to go do this for three weeks, it matters to them. And, and it, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter anything else. That's, that's yep. all that matters. Um, I thought it was electric. I thought it was fun. Because remember, at the end of the day, Sports are supposed to be fun, and that's what it was. Uh, all right, up next, uh, also some news that just came in. Ezekiel Elliott has three teams on his list. Oh. Do you want to guess? Tampa Bay. No. Oh, wow. Well, who are they? Oh, please be a division rival. He seems like the kind that would be like, yeah, I'll go to Washington for a cheap deal just to – Mess with the with the Cowboys. Says Zeke is eyeing the Jets, the Bengals, and the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh baby, I, I what did I tell you? Division rival. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want. I don't know if I could do that. I've I've sports hated Zeke for so long now. Emotionally, that would be that'd be kind of tough to do. Um, speaking of the Jets, why don't we jump in? Because again, like I said, we're just doing this all on the fly. This is just just figuring shit out, uh, which is terrible podcast producing on my end. I apologize, but uh, it's kind of fun just to kind of not know where we're going to go. Let's talk about football. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. Um, because we're, we're now in uh, over a week since he went on McAfee and said he intends to play with the Jets. My This is my official stance on this, which is not sourced. Oh, baby. And is, is not anything else. I think this is the biggest fuck you that Green Bay could possibly give back to Aaron Rodgers, and I am absolutely fucking here for it. I love it <laughs> so much. It, I, it is. I, he is going to do – they're going to do everything. They're going to trade him eventually. Because ultimately, like, what, are we debating on whether it's a third-round pick or a fourth-round pick? No. They're just trying to deprive Aaron Rodgers of any sort of comfortability – any sort of satisfaction. They want to make his life hell because that's what he's been doing to them for the last at least four years. 
right? All of the bitching, right. all of the, well, I'm going to get to say all of, they don't draft anybody to help me. All of this and all of that, the Jordan love Jeff, everything. Meanwhile, here are the jets trading away pieces so they can get assets to trade. Yeah. To Green Bay. They, they just traded away Elijah Mitchell. They just signed McCall Hardman. Elijah Moore. Yeah. Elijah Moore. Sorry. They, they, uh, they signed uh, McCall Hardman. They're, uh, they're, they're finishing up the deal with Alan Lazard, which still isn't finished, which I didn't realize. So now it's like, all right, so it's going to be like Alan Lazard, maybe Odell, maybe Zeke now, apparently. Um, I, I just, I, I honestly, in my heart of hearts, it just feels like the Packers are like, look, we kind of fucked up some of this situation. All right. We didn't do a great job. We didn't handle some of this the best. But now on your way out, we're going scorched earth. And we're going to make it so fucking hard for you by the time you get to New York. I think this stretch is past the draft. I don't think Aaron Rodgers <laughs> officially gets traded for at least a month. They want to cut into his OTA time. They want to cut into his mini camp time. They want to make this transition miserable for Aaron Rodgers. And it's hard to think sometimes that like these grown-up adults, right, who are running these multi-billion dollar franchises are all going to like – Strong, you know, they, they could be this petty, right? But we're talking about billionaires, and we already know Aaron Rodgers, who's made 200 300 million dollars in his career, is petty as fuck. Not to mention whatever he's gotten from State Farm. This, it, this is just serving him a taste of his own medicine. But what's funny is this goes back to the Aaron Rodgers, it's always, it's always someone else's fault, it's never his fault kind of mentality that he constantly possesses. It feels like more and more. We're looking at Aaron Rodgers as like getting a little taste of what his own medicine is and nothing's ever going to change. And, yeah, and well, I just love it. I love it. I love that the Packers are doing this. I hope it takes forever. I hope it takes up until training camp. August 15th. Um, I, I love I, that. I, I'm with you, man. I, I totally agree. And, and, but if, if you're the Jets, like at what point do you start going, okay, we got to start coming up with contingency plans because we kind of need continuity there. And granted you get that if it's Aaron Rodgers and you know, it's going to be Aaron Rodgers, but the fact is that you don't know that yet. Like no. you're doing everything in your power to do that. You've done everything you've, you've met with Aaron Rodgers privately um, and, and you still don't have him yet. So it's like, to me, if I was a Jets fan, I'd be like, all right, Who's left on the market? Where's what do we got uh, as as options? I don't want Zach Wilson being my quarterback next year, but if it comes to that, fine. At this point, I don't care. I just need to know we have a quarterback. Well, and that's what's funny too, because like, yeah, the longer they wait, it screws over the Jets. And if you're the Packers, you're like, look, we're already kind of in cap hell. We're gonna get some because part of this deal and the, the contract stuff is gonna be how much dead money falls on right. uh, Green Bay versus how much of the contract is going to be picked up by the Jets. Um, especially now that we're officially in the league new year, like all that stuff is going to be part of the contract uh, and are part of the trade details. Um, but either way, the Packers are like, look, we have a quarterback. We have no idea what it's going to look like, but we know who's going to be starting for us week one. As of right now, the Jets don't know who that is. Yeah. Mike White's no longer there. Yeah. Right. Who was who was like the fourth string guy who came in? Uh, oh, they had Flacco, but well, they had he's... Flacco, but there was but there was the other guy who was like an XFL guy or an, an an AAF guy who came in during that one like Thursday night game when Zach Wilson got benched. They had like a fourth string quarterback come in. I forget his name, uh, but it's like they'll have that guy and Zach Wilson. 
Like that's who you have in your quarterback room. So it's like, and, and the thing is the Jets, like the Packers, weirdly enough, like they have the leverage in the situation. The Jets are already making moves, right? They're, they're what's that line about like, hey, you know, don't spend money you don't already have. Mm-hmm. That's what the Jets have been doing. The Jets have been spending money that they don't already have right now. In this case, it's Aaron Rodgers. And you're going out there and you're making moves. You're trading away Elijah Moore. You're trading away. And uh, you're bringing in McCole Hardman. You're trying to finalize a deal with letting Alan Braxton Barrios go. Braxton Barrios go. And like, you're kind of stuck in this zone where like, you need Aaron Rodgers to be there. And the longer they wait, the more desperate they're inevitably going to be. Now, that being said, the Jets can call around and call bullshit on the Packers and say, what, we know you're going to move on from him, which is typically how that dynamic works in terms of who has the leverage is the team that's like, Hey, we know you have to move on from this guy. He's already said publicly. So like, just do it because you're, but the jets aren't, or the, or the Packers are going to budge. They're going to sit there and say, no, we're good. We're going to just keep hanging around. So we get what we want. We know what we can get for Aaron Rodgers. We know you want him. That doesn't matter. I don't care if there's no other, other bidder. You're going to give us what we want. Or he's just going to sit here because they don't have to do fucking anything. Yeah. And the, the ultimate, uh, the reason I asked the question is because at the end of the day, Green Bay can be like, eh, nah, we're good. We're going to hang on to him or just let him walk. Don't really care. <laughs> yeah. Which would be like a really dick move from a business standpoint, but they have all the, the, policy and 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 rationale to to do that like nothing's stopping them so to me if you're a jets fan you gotta i i i pose that question because i'm like you should probably start considering maybe you know in the back of your head um i would say at least come draft time be like we gotta we gotta come up with some some plan b's and c's yeah because uh, because this shit is not going at all how well, anybody planned. I mean, I think it's going to happen. Like, I still think the trade's going to happen at some yeah. point. I just think that the Packers are just going to hold on to it as long as you can. It's kind of like, you know, at, you know, when when you're there's 30, there's 29 seconds left on the clock in a March Madness game, right? And the team that has the last shot's going to dribble the ball up and just hold on to it. And everyone's just standing there, right? Everyone's just standing exactly where they are. There's no motion. You're waiting for the clock to move down, and then the play gets run, right, when there's like seven seconds left. That's essentially what we have here, where it's just you're bringing the ball up the court, and right now the Jets know what's going to happen. The Packers know it. The Packers are going to know what's going to happen. Aaron Rodgers knows what's going to happen. But we're just going to sit here, and we're just going to sit here and freeze, and once we get to that point when we got when we have to make the deal, then we'll make the deal. But until then, we're just going to waste everybody's time with a whole lot yeah. of nothing. And honestly, like I think from just a pettiness standpoint, I fucking love it. I think it's fantastic. Yep, me too. I think, I, I think it's what I think it's what more teams should be willing to do in this kind of a moment. Um, well, true. And like, why would the Packers have to settle? You know, like. Aaron Rodgers yeah. is 40 years old. If you if I put this on a on a blank uh, or, or like a, a blindfold test where I was like, you're going to get a quarterback who's as accomplished as Aaron Rodgers and list, you know, all the all the stuff that he has blindfolded his name. And what can you get for this guy at 40 years old, given the situation? Um, I think what the Packers are going to get is way more. Than, than what those those things equate out to. Well, especially the more you wait for it, right? Like the longer right. you drag this out, it, in reality, you're like, hey, at some point they're either going to have, because like, they've already been making the moves. Because in the Jets' mind, they're like, hey, like 
We know this is going to happen. Aaron knows it's going to happen. The Packers know it's going to happen. So we'll start making these moves now while we can, while so so no one else swoops in and takes Alan Lazard or McCole Hardman. We'll go make these moves now, and then by the time Rodgers gets here, it's fine. But then what happens as the, the Packers continue to play chicken longer and longer, and they just wait it out and wait it out and wait it out, and all of a sudden then it's, you know, it's April. Right. And then the draft comes and goes and then it's May and the deal still hasn't been done. And then you're getting, you know, rookie training camp and OTAs and some of that stuff coming in May and the deal still isn't done. And then at some point, are the Jets going to just be like, hey, like we've already made these signings. Like we. It's like we have to pull this trigger, you know, like who's going to who's going to fall out first. Right. Who's going to blink first is it, it's literally turning into a game of chicken. Yeah. And what's best about it is that it ultimately hurts Aaron Rodgers more than it hurts anybody. Because the Packers know what they have. like They know what their team's going to look like. Clearly, the, the cap space stuff is not something that they're worried about with the Rodgers contract. They're going to roll into the next year with pretty much the same team that they have, whatever they get in the draft, and with Jordan Love, and they're going to see what happens. Ooh. Yeah. You know, but I just <laughs> – I, I love this game of chicken. I love it so much. I think it's so entertaining. And, I, and honestly, it's so good because for the last, like, three years – Aaron Rodgers has done this every single year, right? He all last summer, they didn't sign that extension until July of last year, right? So all off season, Aaron Rodgers just kept the Packers in limbo. Am I going to retire? Am I not going to retire? Whatever. The Packers are now kind of taking the power back and being like, we can play that game too, man. You want to leave? Cool. You're under contract here. So how bad do you want to go? Oh, you want to go really bad? Cool. It doesn't matter. It's not your call because you're under contract here because you signed a contract to play here. So if you're going to play, you're going to play as soon as we tell you you can play for another team. And we're the ones that are in charge of that. And I think that power dynamic is fantastic. Yeah. Because in my guess, like the a deal that the Packers would have said yes to has probably already been offered at some point. Meaning like if they were in a pinch and they had to get rid of Aaron Rodgers and all that kind of stuff, like – I'm sure there's a deal that they could have in some universe said yes to already. The deal that they want <laughs> is going to look a little bit different than that. And I, I fucking love that. The, that's yeah, kind of where they're, they're going to make the jets yell uncle. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly credit and, and very rarely will you say, you know, hear me be on the side of the, uh, the franchise. I'm, I'm usually very pro pa- player. This situation is very different considering it's Aaron Rodgers, the amount of money he makes, how good his career has been, how much money he's already made. uh, And honestly, just how much of a fucking douche he's been for the last three seasons. It just (laughs) seems just seems like it's been earned. Uh, All right. Uh, Any other NFL things that we've missed and want to talk about? Uh, Shout out Foster Moreau. Um, Yeah. Sad story there, but uh, wishing him the best. They caught that, huh? Yeah. He was doing a free agent physical with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, and they found um, that he has non or he has Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, so he is going to be starting up a battle with cancer, uh, which sucks. We all agree. There's there's nothing that fucking sucks more than cancer. Um, so we are praying and hoping the, uh, for the best for Foster Moreau. Um, second time the the Saints have saved um, someone's life like that, which is crazy. John yeah. Dorn John Dornboss the uh, the simultaneously the longtime long snapper for the Philadelphia Eagles, but also famous for his stint on America's got talent as a magician. Um, he had a, I forgot uh, about that. Yeah. Great book. <laughs> great book. Fat. His parents, this has got to be a real dark, his parents, like I, f- I forget what it, if his dad murdered his mom 
or his mom murdered his dad. But one of those two, it's a really crazy story. Um, but John Dorenboss, really, really good guy. He had a heart defect um, that was found after he left the Eagles and was going to sign with the Saints. And the Saints found it, and he ended up having to get, like, emergency heart surgery, and he was able to um, survive past it. So uh, good on the Saints and that organization because they, they're, they're very thorough with their, um, with their physicals and, and have now caught two different things that could potentially save two different players' lives, which is, uh, which is huge. Uh, oh. Other than that, don't think there's a whole lot else to uh, to get to in the NFL world. So uh, let's yeah, take a quick it's all break. A bunch of small moves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're kind of in that spot. Like, and there wasn't a huge free agency class to begin with, and most of what's been what's happened, we've kind of talked about. A couple um, of pieces, Brandon Cooks. <laughs> yeah, Brandon Cooks did get traded. That happened since he's now on the Cowboys. Uh, you know, was it like eight straight years he's had a thousand yards or something? One of the and most eight eight different teams. <laughs> yeah, that's what it feels like. Um, <laughs> So we'll see there. CJ Gardner Johnson signs a one-year deal with the Detroit Lions, turned down a three-year deal. That was a bizarre situation because the agency, like Eagles fans were like, go, like freaking out about it. They're like, really? One year, $8 million? Or, like, I thought he wanted a long-term deal. The Eagles apparently offered him a three-year, like $24, 25000000 million deal uh, that he turned down. But he was once that came out, Eagles fans were freaking out and being like, what the fuck? Like, why would you, you know, you said you wanted a longer term deal. Why are you taking the one year uh, to which the agency then tweeted out like subtweeting Eagles fans, um, which is not a good sign. Like, I'm sorry. Like, if you are if you're an agency and you had an opportunity to get your player a three year, twenty three million dollar contract, which they claim most of that money was hidden in the third year. So he would have had to get into gotten to the third year for that money to hit, which. I don't know. I mean, maybe that might be true, but that's also not too uncommon in the NFL either. Yeah. Um, it's a weird thing to tweet that out though. You know? Yeah. It's in like the middle of negotiation. Yeah. Maybe like, maybe get your, your client a good deal instead of, yeah. you know, tweeting out. And it was, it was like monumental. <laughs> no, it wasn't even monumental. It was some, it was some uh, agency I'd never even heard of, which um, I don't know, maybe CJ Gardner Johnson, you know, for how well he played the fact that, his agents weren't able to get him a long-term deal somewhere says a lot about his agency because that dude should have gotten some sort of a deal. Um, but that's also the market for safeties, you know? Um, but I'll say this, the, the, the lions, they beefed up their secondary. That defense is going to be nasty next year. Uh, yeah. And with where they draft too, uh, I would not be shocked if they end up getting, you know, like a J- like Jalen Carter could easily fall to them. Uh, because I think they're drafting what, like fifth or sixth or something. Um, Jalen Carter, with all of his stuff going on, could easily fall to them. Um, probably not Will Anderson, but they're going to get another elite player to stick on that team and that top 10 pick uh, with the way they've been drafting. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye. I mean, if you get Jalen Carter there with uh, next to a- Aiden Hutchinson and, oh, and all everything goodness. else they have there, uh, the Lions defense is going to be fun next year. I like the Lions a lot, especially because we have no idea what's going to happen with the Packers. No idea what year number two with all the luck. I mean, we talked about it all season with the Vikings. The Vikings could have been like a 500 team. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see. I'm excited. And, yeah. Uh, and the Bears loaded up too. So that division just kind of flipped a little bit. Yeah. It's kind of like a paper, at least. You could tell me that any of those four teams end up winning the division next year and you could make a case for it. And uh, and I wouldn't be shocked, which is, which is fun. All right. Let's take a quick break. Oh, man. So much yawns. Uh, quick break. We'll come back. We're going to talk uh, NBA. We're going to do a little NBA talk, MVP, 
uh, kind of where we stand getting ready for the playoffs, and we'll make our picks for the Sweet 16 and get you on your way to the rest of your weekend. All right, let's talk a little NBA. It's been a little while since we've talked NBA. Uh, it's also the first time that Scotty and I have a chance to talk NBA really this year. I've done some solo stuff. We had our buddy Denton Day on the show uh, to talk NBA a few weeks ago. So uh, a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, right now it feels like the East is kind of set. We have about nine to ten games remaining, depending on each team's uh, kind of roster. Um, or roster, Jesus Christ, schedule. Uh, the West still feels very much up in the air. Uh, the Sacramento Kings uh, lost the last couple of games. They have now flip-flopped with the Grizzlies from they were in second. Now they're down to third place. Uh, the Kings have obviously been one of the best stores in the NBA all year. Kevin Durant, shortly after getting to Phoenix, sprains his ankle uh, during warmups. So that's a big loss for Phoenix, who looked like they were going to end up being the favorite in the West. Essentially, we're sitting here and nobody knows anything about the Western Conference. Denver, uh, five and five in their last 10 games. They have not looked like the one seed that they've looked like all year. Uh, still have a three and a half game lead over Memphis, which is likely not to get caught. Uh, shortly after that, the Phoenix Suns are in fourth. Um, but again, without, I mean, it's crazy. Like the one seed, Denver, five and five in the last 10. Phoenix, five and five in the last 10 is the four seed. The Clippers, five and five in the last 10. Uh, the Warriors, who are the sixth seed, four and six in their last 10 games. It's we are just in this very, very weird era of Western Conference basketball in the NBA, uh, and it, it should set up for an exciting NBA playoffs in the Western Conference only because you could make a case for honestly any of these teams. Um, Golden State has not looked like the version of Golden State that we've seen before. They don't have the same energy. They, they feel like they're kind of carrying that like we can pull it off. We can turn it on at any time, but they just. They haven't had the big wins like they did last year. Like there's just something Especially different. On the road. <laughs> Jordan Poole has just been super disappointing. Um, it said today, Gary Payton Jr. or Gary Payton third might be back um, coming up in the next couple of uh, games, which would be big because he has not played since they traded for him at the deadline. And at least he knows that offense. He's played with them. He should. He was a part of the championship run last year. He should be able to fit back in pretty seamlessly. Yeah, Wiggins has missed a bunch of time. Wiggins, uh, who seems to be dealing with some personal stuff, it's all yeah. been away from the court. It hasn't been injury stuff, but he's not been himself. Uh, the Clippers, Paul George sprains his knee. I thought for sure he ripped, like tore everything in his knee the other night. The fact that he walked away from that with only a knee sprain is huge, but I also – think there's probably a good chance that we don't see Paul George unless it's like second round at the earliest. It's going to be minimum a month with a knee sprain like that. Uh, Minnesota finally getting Carl Anthony Towns back for the first time since November. Uh, and, and Minnesota's it's, I don't even know what the fuck they are. I mean, Rudy Gobert, that trades just horrendous. Uh, Memphis gets job back after his all everything with him. He had eight game suspension. Um, has been away from the team. He looked really good coming off the bench last night. So, I mean, you can make a case for anybody. And even a team like Sacramento that has not been in the postseason, it's the longest drought in professional sports out of the big four. Oh. 2006 was the last time the Kings were in the postseason. I believe it was 2002 was the last time that they won a playoff series, 21 years. And then report comes out today that LeBron might actually be back for the last couple of games right now, the Lakers are the 10th seed right hanging. They're a half game up on the Utah jazz. They're hanging right around that play in that last spot in the playing game. 
but it's still LeBron. It's still AD, right? They could find their way to kind of back into the playoffs. Oklahoma City has been a really fun team this year. They're eight and two in their last 10. What do you make of the Western Conference right now? Who's the front runner for you? Uh, I mean, I think it's still Denver. I mean, they've, they've looked like the one all year. I mean, Utah through the first, what, 30 games, they were still sitting in first place. And here they are a half a game out in, in 11th. Um, so anything can happen. It's been wild. Um, but Denver's got the experience. Memphis obviously has, uh, has at least the playoff experience um, to, to at least get through the second round. I'm tired of them talking about how, uh, how good they are. They haven't won more than two playoff series. Get out of here. Um, but they, they, they have the talent to, to make a run. Um, Phoenix, if KD comes back for the playoffs, obviously you can't, you can't overlook them, even though the seating will get, be a little messed up. Um, and then of course, you know, I have to, I have to go with the Warriors, right? I mean, at, at, at any point they can turn it on and we've seen it in the, in the past couple of games, two road wins, uh, back-to-back road wins for the first time all season. Um, the, the thing is, really, in the playoffs, all you need to do is win run one road game. So, uh, in a series, so really, I mean, it's it's wide open. I think through the through the top six, um, but it is going to be a dogfight. I mean, look, six through even thirteen, there's like five games separating, uh, as you said. So, um, I, I think it, it it really could be uh, anyone's guess, but uh, you know, even even Denver, uh, who I think is the the clear favorite in. Uh, in the West, still nowhere near I, what I think the the top uh, the top three in the East are. And look, Denver Denver's just not been good for almost a month now. Like they, they've just been a very middle of the road team. They're thirty and six at home. They're nineteen and eighteen on the road. And that's not as bad of a road record as the the Golden State Warriors, nine and twenty nine away and twenty nine and seven at home. Um, but look, the Nuggets just have not been that good of a team for the last month, basically. Jokic is still putting up good numbers, but Jamal Murray, it's up and down in his first season back from the knee injury. Michael Porter Jr., some nights he looks awesome, some nights he looks terrible. Like, it's it's hard to feel like, because the one thing about them was they were at least consistent, right, through the first 50 games of the season. Denver was just consistent. They were winning games. Jokic was amazing. You know, he was the guys around them were all hitting their shots like he sets everybody up for success. And he's so good at elevating the people around him, which is why he's one of the top two or three players in the NBA. But somehow over the last month, that has seemingly started to slip away where Aaron Gordon, despite the fact that he's been super reliable defensively, is not finishing at the rim. He's not making his shots right. He's he's still a good defensive player, but. He's not doing enough offensively to help them. When Jamal Murray is not putting in, you know, not making his shots, that's huge because they need somebody other than Jokic to go get their buckets. And then Michael Porter Jr. half the games gets resulted into a corner three guy. I mean, he's starting to turn into like Tobias Harris a little bit, where it's like you're paying this guy a max contract to basically sit in the corner and shoot threes. And at his age and for what he has shown flashes to be able to do, that has to be disappointing. And Despite the fact that they've been the best team in the West all season, the best team in the West is Phoenix. But it's Phoenix with Kevin Durant. Exactly. And then that's going to bring this whole other thing where it's like, all right, well, he played four games with Phoenix before he got hurt. And now he's just supposed to assimilate with 
less than 10, 10 games left in the regular season or in the first round of the playoffs. And he's supposed to just fit in with no, and like, even for KD who like KD's best attribute, like the best thing you can say about him is he is the most seamless superstar in NBA history. He can fit into any team yep. in any system and play any role that you need him to. And he's going to be elite at it and he can do it basically overnight. But now we're talking about playoff games against other really good teams and seven game series. When other teams start to figure out what you do, you don't have counteractions because you haven't played with them long enough to develop the, Hey, if they're going to do this, we're going to do that. Like, and, the, and yet I still think they're the most dangerous team. Memphis, I think is still just all over the place. I think the, the John Morant stuff has been really tough on that organization. It's nice to see him back. It's nice to see that he's seem, seemingly got the help that he needs. Um, I think Sacramento could make a run to the Western Conference Finals. And that sounds crazy. I mean, if they're able to somehow steal the two seed, Sacramento is the number one team in the NBA in crunch time minutes by a large margin. They're nine points per game better than the next best team in crunch time for points per 100 possessions. Darren Fox has been the number one player in crunch time, again, by a large, large, large margin. And Sabonis has been a constant mismatch all year. They have really good shooting. They play good defense. Offensively, they are like the number one offense in the NBA. They just don't have the experience. So now it's going to be that question of, well, can they do it? This organization hasn't even been in the postseason in almost 20 years. They haven't won a playoff game in over 20 years or playoff series in over 20 years. Is that realistic that they could make it that far? But that's kind of where we are. It's like just completely up in the air. If it ends today, they play the Warriors in the first round. I, I don't think that there are a whole lot of people who would legitimately stand by and take the Kings in that series. I don't. I I, that's fine. I, I'm not. I'm not shitting on you for it. I think they. They. I could mean, I think too, the casual they, fan who's not watching night in, night out. This Golden State team is not last year's Golden State team. They're just not. Oh yeah, they're I'm, not I'm cohesive. They have not been consistent. Clay Thompson has been a shell of himself. Besides this, you know, yes, he'll blow up for a game and, and drill 13 threes. Right, he's done that a few times this year. He's hit 60 points this year. Like he's had some monster games, and because he's such a good jump shooter, like that's going to happen. Defensively, he's a liability at this point. Uh, Draymond can't really do anything offensively. I mean, the, the, the old school version of the Warriors where Draymond could, could at least shoot 30 something percent from three defensively. He's still a good player, but he's not the Draymond that we know him to be. So you have to play Kevon Looney out there with a big man. Cause you just, you can't play small ball with Draymond and they're going to try because ultimately in the playoffs, like Draymond, they all have the experience and the experience goes a long way. But ever since the Draymond punching Jordan Poole thing, Jordan Poole actively makes that team worse. He's so bad defensively. He takes horrendous shots time after time. He's shooting 30% from three. This is a guy who just got a $100 million contract in the offseason as a six-man because he's supposed to be a walking bucket, and he can't fucking shoot even league average from three. That's supposed to be his thing. Remember, it was going to be the splash triplets. He was going to be the new splash brother. He's not even shooting 30% from three on the season. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of that is because he was asked to do so much in that offense when Clay and Steph were injured at the same time. I mean, partly, yeah, but also I think it's just he's a selfish basketball player. He likes to put up a million shots, and you could put him in Houston or in Portland or in New Orleans or Chicago or you know some of these worst teams, and he'd probably be averaging 25 to 30 a game because he loves to put up that many jump shots. But we're also in, the, in a day and age in the NBA where there are over 30 guys 
uh, averaging 30 or more points or not 30, sorry, to, uh, to over 30 guys who are averaging 20 or more points in the NBA this year. That's insane. That's insane. Yeah. Like it's, it's crazy that we've gotten to this point where there's so many guys and it, it speaks to the amount of talent that's in the league, but the West just feels so open-ended. I, w- I think you're right. I think you probably do have to pick Denver, but I don't feel good about it. I don't feel yeah, good about do anything coming out of the West. Uh, no. The East on the other side feels a little bit different because it feels like we got three good teams at the top, Milwaukee, Boston, Philly. They've already punched their tickets to the uh, postseason. And then you have two teams in the middle there that are good, not great, but good, uh, Cleveland and the Knicks. And then Brooklyn, who's still been hanging on uh, post the trade. They're, they're a dangerous team with all the wings they have. And then everyone else is kind of just meh. I mean, the Heat, I mean, look, it's the Heat, right? So are you ever going to fully count them out? Probably not. Um, the Hawks, I mean, they're laughing. They're a joke. Um, the Raptors, whatever. I mean, right now, the eight through 10 seeds in the Eastern Conference, all of which would make the postseason, the, um, make the play in game. Uh, are all under 500, Atlanta, Toronto, Chicago. Uh, so really it's looking like a, a race at the top, one through three. Uh, Milwaukee, Boston, Philly. Philly's a half game behind Boston, uh, three games back from Milwaukee. Boston is two and a half games back from Milwaukee. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to catch up to them. I mean, Philly's nine and one in their last 10 games. Uh, I think they're like 12 and 13 out of their last 13. Embiid uh, leaves the game early last night with a little bit of calf soreness. Doesn't seem to be too major, but somewhat of a concern. Um, I mean, Embiid's just been fucking incredible. Giannis is incredible. Boston has been sliding majorly. Again, another team five yeah. and five in their last five games. Uh, so I Philly needs to stay hot here because I think that two seed and the home court advantage would be big in the second round against Boston. Um, but that's kind of where we're at in the Western Conference or in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and, and like I said, I think the Eastern Conference, the, those top three in particular are so far and away better um, it, it, clearly better than, than I, anyone who, who comes out of the West, uh, yeah. really. So, um, uh, to me, it's been top heavy. I think what's going to matter, uh, well, two things. One, um, if, if you're looking at one team besides those top three in the East who can make some noise, who is it? Cleveland. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, I mean, I, I, I would say the Knicks too, um, they, I mean, after the Josh, Josh Hart's been so good for them, man. I mean, and he's coming off the bench. He was starting in Portland. Um, obviously, Jay, I did a whole thing on Jalen Brunson earlier this year, but like, I don't know. I just, the Knicks, they're a, a, a balanced team. They're just lacking that elite guy. You know, they just don't have that guy. And RJ Barrett hasn't been that guy that they were hoping for. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, yeah. I I would say it's Cleveland because Cleveland plays elite defense. They have length. They have a true superstar and and um, uh, Dame or Donovan Mitchell, right? Who can make big shots? Darius Garland is a stud. I love yeah. Darius Garland. Uh, Evan, Evan Mobley, second year. I mean, defensively, he is just he's a natural. Like, and that's a weird way to kind of put it, but he really is. Like, he just sees and feels the game the way a guy who's been playing in the league for ten years does, and this mm-hmm. is his second season. Uh, and then obviously you have Jared Allen protecting the rim there too. So th- defensively, I think you you would have to give Cleveland a shot, but no one no one can stop Giannis. The only team that has any way of slowing down Giannis that'll make Giannis feel the pressure defensively is Philly, because you have Embiid, and you know Embiid will make Giannis feel him. You know he will be there 
matching the physicality, matching that drive. Because I think objectively, like the two guys who don't fall under the NBA drama, bullshit umbrella and the egos and like just care about nothing other than winning, I really believe are Embiid and Giannis. Like those are the two guys that like don't take the bullshit. They just go out there and want to just destroy the other team. Like being dominant matters to the two of them more than I think it matters to anybody else in the league. Yeah. And I think for Boston, they're of the three, they're the least balanced, right? With with Milwaukee and, and Philly, you've got the balance. You've got the the elite score, but you have guys who who complement that. And and then uh, of course you the uh the elite level defense that uh, that they can play too. Boston's just been like a series of of especially in the last couple of weeks here, which is probably explains uh, some of the drop off is like all this drama with Jalen Brown. Like, why the fuck are we focusing on that instead of the the playoff push? Right. Well, and we part the of finals last part, year, boys. Part of that's because like when KD like threw his name over the summer, wanted to get traded, like there are reports about Jalen Brown being put into it. And I think Boston could have come out and said, we're not trading Jalen Brown. They could have, they, the amount of times that Jalen Brown's name has been thrown into oh, yeah. trade rumors and stuff. And they've never come out and publicly backed him. Like, I think uh, there's uh I'm blanking on his name. Um, I have to look up, but this guy who works at the ringer uh, did, did an article recently uh, this week about this exact situation with Jalen Brown. And he's known Jalen Brown since college and has talked to, and I think for Jalen, like that, that backing, that trust matters to him. And they've never, ever backed him publicly. His name has always been thrown around there. Right. And he's also going to be when his contract comes up, he's going to be in that weird zone before the, um, the the cap goes up when all of a sudden max contracts could be worth 50 to 60 million dollars a year. And I think Jalen Brown's like it's not all about the money for him, but the money is obviously going to be a big part of that. And I think Jalen Brown, like if he does, if he makes an all NBA team this year, he would get an additional 40 million dollars on his neck on his contract. Like, so yeah, like for Jalen, it does matter to, you know, the money, but also like it matters to be respected. And right now I don't think he feels that way. The other thing with Boston is like, if you looked at their roster at the end of last season or even before the season and compare it to Milwaukee and Philly, you would say Boston has the far and away best roster, but Marcus smart all of a sudden sucks. Can't play any guy was one defensive player of the year last year, which I claimed and said last year was a bullshit. That was a life. That was a career achievement award rather than like he was actually the best defensive player in the league last year. Um, He's been terrible. And Grant Williams, when he gets in the games, hasn't been good. Um, And he's he's annoying. (laughs) Derek White has been like their best guard and they never play him, especially not in crunch time when they should be playing him. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, when he's played, has been really, really good. But again, he's out with injuries all the time. Same thing with Robert Williams. Uh, and then you can't overplay Horford because then Horford gets exhausted. Then it turns into Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum trying to carry the rest of this team. And the two of them are good enough that they can do that for most games. But there's a ceiling, right? And by the end of an 82-game season, those guys are going to be gassed. And I think they're setting themselves up for a really tough run here, getting ready for the postseason with 10 games left. In which nine, they, have, they, have not, they have nine games left. In which two of them are road games at Milwaukee and at Philadelphia. Yeah. Now they've had Philly's number, but look, I mean, Philly wins that game. That's that could help determine, you know, who ends up getting that two seed. Uh, same thing with Milwaukee. If Milwaukee wins, right? And and I think we're going to be set up for a Boston Philly second round matchup uh, in the postseason, which will be a lot of fun. 
but I think I think Milwaukee's the best team. I, I still think I've been saying that yeah. all season. I think Milwaukee's going to end up coming out of the East. Uh, all right, let's do quick thing on on the MVP debate, and then we'll make our picks for the Sweet Sixteen. Um, it seems to be fully in the camp of Embiid right now. Embiid is a heavy favorite. He's up to mine. Last time I saw it was minus two fifty. Depending on what happens with this injury, that'd be a really fucking shitty way for Embiid to lose the MVP if he misses the last like six or seven games. Um, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope they're just going to rest him for a night and it's just a mild strain and he's going to be okay. But the way Embiid's played for the last month, I mean, he has grabbed this award by the balls, but it's also coincided at a very fortunate time where Denver's slide has affected it. Uh, and has affected the perception. Philly's been the best team in basketball since December. Uh, Denver has trailed off in the last month. It, the Sixers have definitely been the best, best team of basketball the last four weeks. Denver's been a very middle-of-the-road team. So it seems like in addition to the, like, hey, everyone was kind of in on Jokic up until a month ago. He was that good. He still is that good. Like, it's not mm-hmm. that Jokic has been bad. Jokic is still putting up big numbers. Um, but it's probably a little mixture of the performance by the the – the Nuggets versus the performance by the Sixers, especially if the Sixers end up stealing that two seed. Um, and then a little bit of a, like, hey, look, we've given it to Jokic the last two years. And whether that's right or wrong or indifferent, like writers are people of narratives and stories. And eventually they want to vote for somebody different, somebody that's not Jokic. They don't just give it to the same guy, even though you could make the case for Jokic Embiid or Giannis. Giannis is having one of the best seasons. Yeah. And we said the same thing last year about Giannis. Exactly. Giannis could have won the MVP just... last year. And, you know, so it's just kind of the way yeah. that the MVP award works in the NBA. Yeah. And it's, I mean, again, the, the these 10 games are, are of the utmost importance. At this point last year, it was Denver um, not like trying to cling on to a one seed. It was Denver like, how are we going to stay healthy and make the playoffs? And even still in doing that, Jokic just played out of his mind like he had all season long. Um, but so was Embiid at that point. And at this point, as the three seed, the sitting three seed in the East, if they make a charge, and again, they've got two two games against the top two teams. Uh, if they make a charge in these last 10 games, I, I think that that's the the last the final closing argument in the case uh for mb because i i agree he's in the he's got to be the the betting favorite right now he is the betting favorite right now and and it's it's his to lose yeah um it which is which is crazy i think it's deserved um i will say as a sixers fan i'm not emotionally ready to get invested in another team that's going to make it to the finals and then lose um because i mean what an all-time year that would be phillies eagles sixers all get to the finals and lose but I'm already ready for the, this is the first Sixer to win the MVP since Allen Iverson in 2000, 2001, when the Sixers went to the finals and took on yeah. Kobe Bryant and Shaq and then got their oh asses kicked. Like yeah. emo- at I'm that just point, not, I'm at not that ready point, for you got to start, you got to start checking for burial grounds under the, the city streets at that point. Yeah. Not ready. Not ready for that. We need like a 700 foot tall William Penn statue just to be like, <laughs> look, okay, here he is. Just please, please. Please don't let us lose another one. <laughs> Take whatever you want. Um, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I, I hate the championships. I just hate what the MVP award debate has become. It's become so intense, and like the JJ Redick, Kendrick Perkins stuff, and it's just yeah. like, dude, like, how many times is the? I mean, like Dirk Nowitzki won the MVP and had to accept the MVP. This is back when they would hand it out during the second round of the postseason. 
had to accept the MVP after the Mavs, who had won 64 games that year, got bounced in the first round. So he had to come back and accept it at a game that his team wasn't even playing in in the postseason. Like, it happens all the time. We make such a big deal out of it. Ultimately, like, Embiid deserves one. He just does. And if you want to say you think Jokic should win, okay. I, I can't make an argument against it. The numbers don't lie. The numbers don't lie for Embiid. The, the numbers don't lie for Giannis. Um, but ultimately, right. it's it's going to be it, – I think it's going to be Embiid. Uh, but, of course, why not – you know, 10 games left. Let's add a little bit more drama and maybe Embiid's hurt and misses a couple games here to close it out, and then it all turns to fucking mayhem. But, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I think it'll be Embiid. All right, let's make our picks. Let's finish out. We'll, we're going to pick all the way up second-chance bracket kind of style here, starting with the Sweet 16. Uh, we'll go through Scotty and I will make our picks and we will uh, we'll go from there. All right. So, uh, Scotty, let's start with you. First game, South region, Alabama, San Diego State. Who's winning? Uh, I think Alabama. Um, you talk about San Diego State's tough, long and athletic and they make plays. But uh, Alabama, again, we've said it all, all tournament, all, all, all previews of the tournament. Alabama has two of those guys at all five spots. So uh, to me, it's it's. It's it's a clear cut. The only trouble I, I think I can see him in is is if San Diego State starts to hit like absolute threes and Alabama gets just cold as ice because we've seen Brandon Miller struggle at times in the tournament. Um, but even when that's happened, it's been somebody else next next man up who steps up and, and does it for Alabama. So I think you see some more of that, even if they get in trouble in this one. Uh, but I think Alabama does roll. Yeah, I mean, Brandon Miller had zero points against Maryland. Like, think about that. Like, and they still beat them by 22. Best player in the country. Yeah. Yeah. Still beat them by 22. But that will be the thing that if Alabama doesn't win the title this year, it will be because they get too reliant on the three-pointers. All right. So I'm with you, though. I think Bama. Though I think San Diego State, because they are big and nasty, and they're a bunch of grown men, and I think they're going to give Alabama everything that they have, but I still think Alabama moves on. Uh, All right. Uh, Other side of that bracket, Creighton and Princeton – do we see a Cinderella make it to the Elite Eight? No, I don't think so. I mean, Creighton's, I mean, usually we talk about these as, as five and lowers. Creighton's a six. Uh, so I, I think you do see a Cinderella in that sense uh, that one of these teams is going to be there. But uh, Creighton just, they're, they're one, two, and three guards. Uh, Nemhard, uh, Trey Alexander, and, and Shireman and just shoot the absolute lights out of the ball. Uh, they've been doing it all tournament long. And I think that continues. And Princeton, for as good as they are, especially beyond the arc, uh, doesn't really have the answers defensively to keep up with them on the perimeter. So the thing with Creighton is they've been super inconsistent all year, right? They laid an egg in the Big East tournament. Um, They've had a bunch of bad losses throughout this year. They're one of those teams that has all this crazy high upside, but get very dependent on shooting three, but also can kind of shoot their way out of games. Um, And yes, they played really well in the first two rounds, but it would also be very on brand for what this team has been all year for them to lose in this game, for them to not show up in this game against a team that they think that they should be able to handle. And I'll tell you what about Princeton. Princeton dictates the game, right? When they played Arizona, they dictated the pace of that game. They played the exact game that they wanted against Arizona. They should not have been able to do that. They did not have the personnel to be able to do that, but they did it. And then against Missouri, from the jump, that game was over because Princeton took it over. It's not just about the shooting. It's about the way that they control the game from the tip-off. 
I'm taking Princeton. I think Princeton right. wins. I'm taking them on the money line tomorrow night or fr- yeah, Friday night. I am so excited. I think Princeton punches their ticket. I think second straight year we see a 15 seed in the Elite Eight. How about it? <laughs> uh, I like it. So I have Bama and Princeton there. You have Bama and Creighton. All right, let's move to the East region, FAU, Tennessee, and Kansas State, Michigan State. Uh, FAU, Tennessee, who wins that one, Scotty? Uh, I like I like FAU, um, uh, and this is the part uh, of the tournament where, um, yes, guard play matters the whole tournament. Yes, experience matters the whole tournament. Uh, Tennessee has all of that, but I think this is where – uh, their their starting point guard being out is is going to catch up to them. Florida Atlantic does two things really well. They recognize that it's not about your mid range game. Either we're going to beat you with our speed uh, and, and drive, dribble drive into the lane uh, where we have big athletic guys who who can make plays, or we're going to beat you from three. Uh, and, and they can do one or both in, in in any game. I like the Owls to move on to the Elite Eight. So I'm going to take Tennessee here. Uh, and, and look, Tennessee is only a four and a half point favorite against FAU. The way I look at this game, typically you would say four seed versus a nine seed in the sweet 16. You would say, look, the, the, the four seed is the one with all the pressure. The nine seed is the one that is kind of playing with house money. And the fact of the matter is FAU is lucky to be here, right? The missed timeout against Memphis, some officiating stuff in that game, they barely squeak by. And then they get the biggest gift of all where they get to play the 16th seed, Fairleigh Dickinson, and they damn near probably should have lost that game. They're the ones with the pressure here, right? Because they're the ones looking like, hey, we're a nine seed. We could get to the Sweet 16 probably. I think the first nine, one of the, if not the first, one of the very few nine seeds to ever make it to the Elite Eight. They're the ones playing with the pressure because Tennessee, this is the first time with Rick Barnes that like they don't have any pressure. They're not supposed to be here with the injuries. Rick Barnes is supposed to choke in the postseason. If they lose, well, that's just more of the same. Like, that's what's expected. And this Tennessee team, look, they're one of the worst shooting teams in the country, um, and they shot lights out against Duke. And I don't expect them to be able to do that again against FAU. But what, what they will do is they will bring the toughness. They have the athletes and the physicality that FAU has not had to deal with all year. And the one time that they did, at least in a similar style, was against Memphis. And they damn near lost that game, arguably should have lost that game. Uh, I think the run here for FAU, who's kind of been dancing around, found their way to the Sweet 16. I think it's Tennessee. I like Tennessee, the Vols, to get to the Elite Eight. Uh, and then we have Kansas State and Michigan State, which I think is probably the game I'm most excited about here in the second yeah. uh, Sweet 16. Um, I've, I've gone back and forth because I love this Kansas State team, and I love Noel. Um and I just love the story. I mean, they were picked last in the Big 12. We've heard all the storylines, their coach and everything. But Michigan State does such a good job of, of pinpointing your best player and taking them out of the game. Uh, the, the kid who Tyler uh, Loquette, what's his name? The kid, the kid who was the biggest player of the year for Marquette. Jeez. Uh, uh, yeah, I know what I, you're talking about. Yeah, he was the biggest player of the year. They held him to seven points in that game. And it's because well, he was in foul trouble too. That was yeah. the other thing. Um, but they game planned around uh, Kolick, Taylor Kolick. Kolick. Um, yeah. They, they game planned specifically to slow him down. He finishes with seven points in that game. Uh, two of five from three only ends up making uh, two field goals. Uh, and then goes one of two at the line. They're going to try to do the same thing with Noel. I don't know if it's going to work. 
But we're talking about the Big East player of the year gets shut down. Noel, obviously an electric player, incredible ball handler. And, and we saw Kentucky try to do the same thing where they would double team him and he would just find his way around the basket. Um, so I kind of want to bet on Kansas State just because I'm rooting for him, but I'm kind of split on this one. Yeah, me too. The problem is that um, Kansas State has two of those somebodies that Michigan State has to stop, and that's not only Noel, Marquise Noel, but uh, Keontae, but Keontae Johnson. Johnson too. Yeah. Those are both they're both averaging 17, 17 and a half over the uh, the, the last ten games, um, and more so in the tournament. So to me, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. The question to me is, can Michigan State hit those shots that they hit in? Uh, and I'm not talking about the threes. There were two of 16 from three against Marquette, but uh, but can they play the defense and then create shots on the other end uh, down low, bleed some of the time off the clock and play physical, like old school, like Michigan State basketball? Yeah. Um, I think they could, but I, I think Kansas State will will be able to run and gun uh, better than than they're able to. Michigan State's able to do that. It would be I would not be shocked if Michigan State won this game, but I'm going to take Kansas State. I'm with you. And my heart is with Kansas state. I just, if I take Kansas state and Michigan state comes out and wins this game because the coaching and just, you know, just the way that Tom Izzo gets his team ready to play with their hair on fire. Like Michigan state's one of the few teams that can match the intensity that Kansas state plays with night in and night out. It just seems like a wrong thing to bet against Tom Izzo in this kind of a setup. So I'm going to take Michigan state um, despite the fact that I'm pulling hard for the wildcats. Uh, All right, let's go back up to the top. Uh, Northeast, we have Houston and Miami going up against, uh, and then also we have Xavier and Texas. I know I said it earlier that I wasn't going to fall down the trap because everyone's going to want to pick Miami. I think I'm going to take Miami <laughs> because I, I feel like I've heard so many good things about Houston. I just, I feel like this is going to be the moment. I feel like Miami offensively I can beat you again with multiple different guys, even when they have their off nights. Um, they're tough on the glass. Indiana plays a similar style to Houston. They're not as athletic, but um, in terms of just defensive basketball, Houston's going to give them everything they have. But sometimes, and like Calvin Sampson has even come out and said this, like sometimes we just play like shit. And very easily Houston could come out and just play like shit. So I'm going to take Miami. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to stick with Houston. They they've just played um, for as inconsistent as they've been. Um, I think they're still one of the the better teams. Uh, in the country, like, like I said last week, it's hard to get 30 wins uh, in any conference, uh, let alone in in, uh, in the American too. And they they just have uh, they have the make well they have the coaching too, and that's that's really one of the things um, that that March boils down to. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep riding the Cougars out because uh, they've been one of the better teams all year, all and right. they're uh, playing to get to Houston. Uh, yes, so. But I think that's part of the pressure element, kind of why I like Miami, too. I feel like Miami's playing with house money. Uh, Xavier, Texas, going with the Longhorns. Um, I thought Xavier was lucky to get by Kennesaw State. Uh, Texas, to me, I think has looked like the best team in this region uh, through two games. They just consistently play their game. Again, I know that game against Penn State. The final score looks closer. It, it felt like the entire time that Texas was, was in control of that game. I think they punched their ticket to the Elite Eight. Um. Yeah, I think uh, I don't know. I, I think tech, Texas has a number of strengths. They they make you play their game, uh, and, and Xavier for for as close as those games have been, um, have found ways to win. Sean Miller, 
You know what? I'm with you. Classic choke job in, in March, Sean Miller. Uh, so give me the long ones. Oh, what a Texas. story that would be. Uh, and then the last region, Arkansas, UConn, and Gonzaga, UCLA. I love the must bus. I just think UConn's look so good through the first two games. Um, they're long and athletic. And I know Iona was up at halftime, but the way that they came out in the second half and just took that game completely over, that says a lot about a team. It says a lot about the belief that they have in themselves. Same thing with St. Mary's. St. Mary's had a close at half. Uh, they blew out that second half. I think UConn continues this trend, and I'm rolling with the Huskies. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna roll with you there. Uh, they're just so so good, so dominant so far. Connecticut. I think they're UConn has been one of the the most dominant teams uh, in the field so far, um, and they're not playing cupcakes. So um, that's that's not an easy thing to do. So I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with UConn too. But can you imagine if we get to an Elite Eight game where it's must versus Mick Cronin. Like they might physically awesome. fight on the court. <laughs> that would be awesome. That, uh, that should be overtime. <laughs> even, even must against, uh, was it Danny Hurley? Bob, which Hurley is in UConn? I always forget. Uh, I think it's Danny. Yeah. I think it's Danny Hurley. Um, but either way, yeah. Must against Danny Hurley, either of the Hurleys, that's going to be electric. Uh, and then yeah, Gonzaga, UCLA, this is going to be an awesome game. I think this is going to be a super, super fun matchup. UCLA has been surprising. Um, my concern, because if I'm going with like back the backcourt logic, good coach, strong backcourt, pro kind of argument, I think UCLA is the team to pick here. But at the same time, the injury concerns haven't affected them yet. But I think this is the game where it does affect them because I think Drew Timmy is going to be a really, really big issue for them to try to defend. Now they know Drew Timmy. They've played against Drew Timmy. Uh, Tiger Campbell and Javi Hawkes or Javi Hawk, like both those guys are really good. But I think I'm going to go with Drew Timmy and Gonzaga, and I think we're going to get UConn Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. Um, yeah, man, these guys are, are are really solid on both sides of the ball. I'm gonna I'm gonna take UCLA because of the guard play uh, as well, but they're top three in the country in defensive efficiency. Not to discount Gonzaga's defense, which is tough. I think it's going to be a slugfest, a knockdown, dragout war. Yeah, uh, truly. Uh, but but I think the the edge on defensive efficiency going to to uh, Going to UCLA, I think is going to limit what, uh, you know, you can give Timmy his two points in the paint, let him get hot and get thirty. But you know, we're not going to we're not going to let you get those get those shots on the perimeter. We're not going to let you get to a spot from fifteen to eighteen and, and, yeah. and be able to score like you have effectively. Uh, is what UCLA will do to Gonzaga. So I think uh, the Bruins move on. All right, uh, Elite Eight. I have Bama and Princeton. Bama's going to win that one. The story ends there. Not much to add to that. Yeah, really. I mean, if Princeton won, that would be the upset of the absolute century. A hundred percent. Biggest upset in tournament yeah. history. No question. <laughs> yep. Uh, and got Alabama had, for me. <laughs> and you got Bama as well. All right. So we both have Bama still going to the final four. Uh, I have Tennessee and Michigan State. I Again, I want this to be Kansas State because I think whoever gets through this, again, they'll hit that point for Tennessee where the injuries just pack up a little too much for them. But I'm going to say Michigan State gets to the final four. Yeah, that would be intriguing, right? Uh, <laughs> what was the the record, Tom? Is it was something like twenty three and and seven with one day to prepare in the tournament? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Crazy. Um, and now he's had uh, the better part of a week, so uh, that game would be interesting, as we described. I have Kansas State playing Florida Atlantic, so completely the opposite of you, uh, which I'm not sure what that means because for me, like most people, I'm sure this side of the bracket has been an absolute murder. Um, 
So I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Kansas State in in a matchup against Florida Atlantic. When you're hot, you're hot. You just beat Tom Izzo uh, in the postseason. Florida Atlantic magical season, but the Owls fly away out of this one, and Kansas State rolls on with their two big scoring guards. Would love to see that. All right, I have Miami and Texas in the battle of who's back. Uh, I'm gonna keep with my original pick from the season. I like Texas. I think Texas is. Right now, I think they're playing the most consistent basketball. I mean, obviously, Alabama has been the most dominant, but Texas is a team that there's just a confidence in the way that they play. There's a comfortability in the way that they play, no matter what's happening. I like Texas. I think Texas gets to the Final Four. Yeah, and if if that is the case, if it's Texas and Miami, um, I, I, would, I wouldn't even question that. I, Texas is just such a good rebounding team with their length of athleticism that I don't think Miami's going to have the ball enough to, to keep up with them. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I would go Texas there too. I have Texas and Houston. This seems to me like one of those fairy tale things where, uh, where the underdog, the story that Texas has been all season uh, kind of comes to fruition. They make their way to the final four and then flop. So let's do that. Let's, let's send Texas to the final four just because the story uh, needs to get to that point. They'll talk about it all week next yeah. week. And then, uh, and then they'll have to play against uh, who will ever will be coming out of the West. So who do you got, Jeff? Uh, I have UConn going up against Gonzaga. I, I think UConn would struggle in that matchup to stop Drew Timmy. I know they have size and athleticism, which will help, but he's so good at just getting buckets and his footwork's outrageous for as annoying as he is. But I, I think UConn is on a path right now. I, I just think they're playing – I mean, I think the three best teams so far that, I, that I've that i seen, uh, the four best teams I've seen so far are Alabama, Texas, UConn, and Michigan State. I think they've been the four most impressive teams, and I'm going to end up picking that to be uh, my final four. So, I got uh, UCLA and uh, UConn. UConn, thank you. Um, man, there's another one that, I mean, if UCLA per- perseveres through those two games, they're going to need some ice packs uh, all week long for yeah. for leading up to the final four. Cause that they're going to be playing two physical teams. Uh, even if it's Arkansas that, that ends up out of that uh, and, and they play, they have to play them too. But um, I like UCLA uh, in, in either matchup. I think this is a time again, where, where solid experienced backcourt play and UCLA has been in this spot before. Uh, um gets you over the hump and into the final four. Uh, uh, I, I just, you know, for, for all the, the injury stuff that UCLA has Mick Cronin uh, and, and that team, they were, what was it two years ago that they came from, from the first four and made it to the final four. Man, they um, should have, they should have been there if it wasn't for the Jalen Suggs. Half court oh, buzzer right. Yeah, that's right. I forgot the final about that. four. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, talk about revenge on uh, on Gonzaga for that one. What a, yeah. that was one of the best moments I've in the in the tournament. Uh, for oh my god, yeah, I've seen. yeah. Um, but UCLA gets revenge over that, moves on to uh, play UConn. Physical game defense takes over for for UCLA again. And they get to the final four. L.A. Scotty, we start calling you that. L.A. L.A. Scotty. All right, uh, Bama, Michigan State, the Nick Saban Bowl. Uh, I'm taking Alabama I, at this point. Like, I'll just say no. It's Al- it's going to be Alabama and Texas for me. I think Alabama, Texas in the national championship. Um, I think UConn and Texas would be an awesome, awesome game that I could see kind of going either way. Uh, but I think I, I'm going to stick with my initial prediction, which was Alabama and Texas in the, in the national championship. I still think that holds on. 
Yeah. Yeah. Alabama's really, really good. Top rebounding team, two of everything. Didn't uh, Alabama and Kansas State play in a bowl game this year? I I believe so. Was that the yeah. Sugar Bowl matchup? Yeah, I think it was. And uh, they just beat the living shit out of Kansas State. Yeah, well, that's not going to happen this time. The upset hits. Kansas State moves to the championship because karma's a bitch, Alabama. And guess what? When your coach is that flipping about a murder charge, you don't deserve to be in the national championships. Screw you. Screw your program. Go Wildcats. Did you hear Nick Saban's? Uh, yeah. Oh, that was, that was, oh, that was phenomenal. brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, and then you have UCLA and Texas. Who wins that one? Great color matchup. That would be. Yeah. Yeah. Blue and gold. Uh, UCLA stole Cal's fight song. So, uh, you know, I can't, I can't root for them. Plus they're in LA. Give me Texas to win that game. I like the rebounding ability that Texas has the athleticism. Everything finally catches up to UCLA. They've, they've been in this spot before, but Texas will make you play their game. Um, as, as good as UCLA is on defense, they're, they're going to, to force Texas to play a little inside, which I think is a, a, a good thing for Texas um, to be able to play inside because they, they do really well at that. So um, I, like, I like Texas to move to the championship game against Kansas State. Big 12 battle, baby. L.A. Scotty. All right. Um... Quiet, you. Uh, and I'm going to stick and I think Texas wins. I still, I just, there's something about that team. They have that like kind of it factor from watching them from the outside. Like I just, I kind of felt that way about Baylor a couple of years ago when they won. Um, there's just something about them right now that that's, they're just rolling. I think it's three straight national championships for the big 12 Texas holds on. I'm keeping my pick. Texas wins the national championship. It's three straight from the Big Twelve for me. I love the uh, I love yeah. the stories in this matchup too. So uh, Texas with uh, with everything they've had going on, oh, we agree. Coach who oh, who I think will uh, will not win kiss the championship death. game. Kansas State rolls and wins. Oh, the national okay. Thank you. I was gonna say yeah. You just gave us the kiss of death there for a second. Yeah. Uh, I think Kansas. Learn my lesson in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I I think Kansas State is one of the last three schools to have never won a team national championship. I'm pretty sure. I know Virginia Tech's won Kansas. I think it's Kansas State. We'll have to we'll have to get Zach Parker on that stat. Yeah, stats and info. But I'm pretty sure it's Kansas State. All I right. don't know. We win championships at. Uh... No, you don't. <laughs> all right, that's all we got for the pod today. Thank you all for listening. As always, uh, yeah, a little all over the place. A uh, a, a kind of improv sports gumbo pod but i hope you all enjoyed we'll be back next week enjoy the sweet 16 enjoy the elite eight my opinion i think from a quality standpoint it's the best two days of the tour or the best weekend of the tournament um just because all the matchups are good you still have cinderella's you know some of the teams a little bit better than you did a week ago so yeah. enjoy the games everybody we'll get Vito's boots on the ground so you can yeah. give us some stories we'll get a recap from uh, Vito in vegas as well as what it was like being at the sweet 16 so uh everyone have a wonderful weekend stay safe Uh, Good luck with your bets and everybody. We will talk to you all on Tuesday. And as always, take it easy, everybody.